from Loyola University Chicago School of Law and WLUW, this is The Podvigate. We're law students exploring the vanguard of the legal world with experts from our backyard and beyond. Subscribe to The Podvigate wherever you get your podcasts and join us every Saturday evening at 6 on WLUW 88.7 Chicago. For more information about this episode and our guests, please visit our website at thepodvigate.com and check out our social media pages. Hi everyone, I'm your host Christy Paredes and we're excited to welcome back Professor Waller. Today we're going to discuss civil procedure and how future 1Ls can prepare for this course. If you haven't already, please check out his previous episode titled A Matter of Antitrust, where he discusses the history of antitrust law in the United States and its role in the 2020 election. And for those new to the podvigate, Professor Waller, can you please tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, uh, thanks for having me, Christy. I've been teaching at Loyola for uh, since 2000, almost 20 plus years now. I teach civil procedure and classes in antitrust and consumer protection and occasionally international business classes. Before Loyola, I used to teach at Brooklyn Law School for 10 years. And before that, I uh, practiced law for eight years, mostly, almost entirely in litigation, much of it in federal court, some of it in state court, um, off most of it complex business litigation. For a while, I was also a criminal prosecutor. So I've done a lot of different things. And for 30 plus years, I've been a full-time professor. And uh, I also uh, direct our Institute for Consumer Antitrust Studies, which is really uh, something I talked about the last time I appeared on the podvocate when we talked about uh, big tech and antitrust. But uh, I gather you'd rather talk more about what I do in the fall every year when I teach CivPro uh, first, first year students. Great. Thank you. Yes, please tell us more about your class. Sure. I teach a pretty conventional, traditional civil procedure class. I teach both about the personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction of the courts. And then I probably spend more time than most professors on what you know from class that I call the arc of litigation, just what actually happens once you're properly in the federal court of your choice and walk the students through the choices that the federal rules of civil procedure allow them to make, allow the court to make in the course of uh, litigating a case, whether it's Uh, Professor Sag running me over in front of uh, the law school at the corner where there used to be a Starbucks and is now some kind of a cannabis shop. Um, Simple case like that, all the way up to some, you know, multi-billion dollar antitrust case. And with all the safety measures put in place because of COVID, in what ways has Zoom influenced the way you teach? So, you know, as you know, when when we had the class together last year, uh, everything was online. And that was difficult. And this year I'm teaching masked and miked in the uh, moot courtroom for a very large section. We have a very large first year class, as, as you're probably aware. Um, I like, you know, I prefer teaching in class, um, uh, but, you know, uh, we had no choice because of COVID. Um, my biggest concerns both last year and this year is, is not delivering the content. Um, it's really making sure that the students got to know me, but more importantly, got to know each other. And, and that was a big challenge, more on Zoom than, than in person. It, you know, this year in person is just, I, I, they can hear me because I got a microphone and, you know, I am getting to know them slowly. Uh, I have to recognize everybody, you know, just from the, from the um, you know, from the, the mask up. Um, so sometimes when I run into people in the halls, I'm not as quick to recognize them uh, just because they're far away in the courtroom. When I was doing it on Zoom, uh, it did change how I taught. 
I switched to having a PowerPoint for virtually every class. I think it's just boring uh, if you only see me. I happen to be in my office while we're recording this. Uh, so I taught either out of the law school when I was allowed to come back, or I taught out of my uh, the office room, you know, in my apartment. But I was by myself. I, you know, there wasn't anybody out there. And I think to just look at um, uh, the face, the box of, of me on the Zoom for two hours is kind of boring. So I had, um, I did my best to get to know the students. Uh, you know, I didn't have, I had Zoom office hours. Uh, I had, while the weather permitted, Saturdays in the park with uh, Matt and Spencer, where, you know, we had very small, completely voluntary groups of people who were masked and distanced and could chat about things other than the content of the class. And I had Zoom office hours if you wanted to talk about CIPPRO. Uh, this year, um, I have a mixture of live office hours in the moot courtroom or right outside, you know, when, when class is over. I have one Zoom office hour on Fridays for students who can't get back to school. And uh, I'm continuing the park sessions, uh, you know, as long as the weather holds. So I think what I did differently, particularly in, 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 uh, in the Zoom year was, uh, and I think I'm still doing it, is there's no hiding the ball. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't particularly doing that before, but I was very, very deliberate in what I was teaching, how I was teaching it and telling them that, telling the students there were, there was, you know, no, no illusion, no um, hoping that it all ties together in some uh, light bulb moment. I was just being as deliberate as I could uh, to say, here's what we're doing today. Here's why we're doing it. Here's how we're doing it. Here's how you're going to measure whether or not um, you know, you're up, up to speed and, and keeping track of what's going on. So I hope I keep doing that. I think it's, it's frankly a good thing and um, uh, I think students like the certainty of it, um, and I think anything that's uncertain, you know, the laws itself is, is uncertain enough um, that there's no reason why the techniques of what you're teaching should be a mystery. And how can students prepare for CivPro? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm teaching a couple of things. I, I'm, I'm obviously teaching the content of the course. I'm also teaching the beginning of how to make good ethical, tactical, strategic decisions about being a lawyer, what you do in a particular situation. And I'm also teaching students how to be good at their jobs as students. As, as you may recall, we spend the first third or so of the course primarily reading cases, spinning out big concepts like personal jurisdiction or, or something related to that. And that's very similar to what students do in torts and contracts where they take up the you take a big concept and you read a line of cases that begin you know mists of time and go all the way up to the last time the supreme court may have decided something so um uh, my goal is to teach them how to read a case unlike most of their other first year classes we're also teaching how to read a statute the federal rules of civil procedure are a funny statute they're not enacted in the ordinary way that a bill is but there's still a statute and you're also reading regular ordinary statutes like um, the federal judicial code on what's subject matter jurisdiction is allowed in the federal courts, that kind of stuff. So, you know, um, teaching uh, how to be a, a good law student, teaching the skills of, it, it's like training in a gym, you know, you start small and, 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 and you work up to the bigger stuff. Um, when we get into the, how the case works in federal court, the federal rules allow you to do lots of things, but they rarely make you do something. So one 
small answer would be when, if you're representing a defendant, once the complaint is properly served, the defendant has to do something. They can either answer the complaint, they can make a motion to dismiss. That's a strategic choice. And so again, I want students to be comfortable. Um, what I'm really doing in all of these settings is teaching active learning. I'm teaching students to use rules and cases and concepts to solve a problem. Everything from a tiny little one paragraph hypo in the book to a more elaborate hypo maybe that I would spin out to a final exam to the kinds of things that you do in real life because that's what I'm pushing. Um, my real goal, and I've said this in class and I'm not trying to hide the ball, is that's the ultimate skill that you have to come out of law school with. And, and obviously it's the first semester, I get that. Um, but I'm laying the foundation for that kind of active learning. I don't want students passively trying to absorb or memorize all of Civ Pro. It's impossible, it's too much information. And it's not the only class they have. What I'm hoping for is, you know, you don't need to know what rule off the top of your head. You don't need to know what rule covers depositions. You do need to know there is a rule that covers depositions and why you'd wanna take somebody's deposition versus some other way of getting discovery in a case. So I am preparing students uh, in class, out of class with the weekly or so assignments that you and the others had uh, to get to that point where you can take concepts in my course or any course and apply them to real world situations that, that I present in hopefully manageable, digestible um, you know, packages. How do you use cold calls to ensure students are engaging in active learning? Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't do any of that nonsense from the movies where you have to stand up and recite the facts of the case, you know, that, that that's a waste of time. Um, I'm really looking to hone in on an issue and get the student to analyze that issue, applying facts and, and rules to do a mini version of the active learning that we were talking about. So, you know, it might, I'm, I'm always more concerned about why and how, not what. So when we talk about a case, whether I'm cold calling or somebody's volunteering. Um, and, and as you know, I, I, I have a panel approach where I tell students at least a few days in advance uh, that I'll be calling on them first, but not only. But yes, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I want them to be in the situation to, ex to analyze, not to regurgitate. So I wanna know why the court did or didn't find personal jurisdiction great, you should probably know at some point how the case came out, but I'm mostly concerned about why. And then as the semester goes on, let the student engage with, well, do I think that was, do I think that was a correct application of the rule? And do I think the rules as they're applied, do they produce inequitable outcomes in the real world? Do they harm poor consumers? Do they harm people of color? Do they, um, you know, and I think you have to play both the inside game and the outside game uh, when you're analyzing these things. But if you want to, uh, if you care about social justice, it really doesn't matter what your politics are, but you want to be a great lawyer, not a good lawyer. You got to know how the rules apply and you have to know what effects they produce in the real world. Either way, it's about analyzing these things and looking deeper to just going, oh, well, five Supreme Court justices said this, so it must be right. That's, that's uh, you know, when we talk about how much information has to be in a complaint under Twombly and Iqbal. You gotta understand what they're talking about. Um, you also should get to the level of, huh, do I think they're acting fairly under the federal rules and what they're supposed to be doing? Uh, and in addition, 
is this closing the courthouse door to access to justice? So I, I really want to get the students moving up the ladder from knowing the vocabulary to knowing why a case was decided to having an opinion informed by the law and the statute, whether the court got it right, would they do something differently if they were on the court or litigating in this case? Um, and, you know, at a systemic level, this is producing the kind of um, quick and hopefully inexpensive and hopefully just outcomes that these seemingly technical procedural rules, you know, they have real world effects. We get to that too. Many of the concepts in CIFPRO builds on each other. How can students test their comprehension as the semester progresses? Sure. Uh, I, think, I think a casebook uh, that I think has a lot of really simple, doable problems. And sometimes we have time to talk about them in class, and oftentimes we don't. But I really urge students to uh, do the problems, but not, not do them alone. Talk it through with somebody. I don't care if it's a formal uh, study group, but you know, uh, talk it through with a real person so you can argue it out in, in case they approach it differently than you do. And again, focusing on the why, not the what. The why is the, is the important part and shows that you are actively learning and applying rules to facts. And the example I always give is, you know, nobody walks in and says, is there subject matter jurisdiction for, to sue somebody in Montana? You know, they, they say, I, I just got sued in the middle of nowhere. You know, said, well, what can I do about it? And you got to solve it. So that's the act of learning because that's what lawyers do. Nobody walks in and gives you a problem with a, bows and ribbons all tied up with the fancy words and concepts. Uh, somebody is in distress in the real world, whether they're plaintiff, whether they're offended, whether they're powerful, whether, whether they're being exploited in some way. Um, and you know they, they need help and you have to take the facts. You have to figure out the rule. You have to apply it and say, yeah, you know, I, I think under the facts of this case, uh, they probably couldn't sue you in Montana. They probably have to sue you here. Um, nobody talks like Am I domiciled in Montana? You know, that's, that's, uh, you, know, you got to know those answers on a test, but that's not what happens in the real world. So, you know, what I recommend is students to do the active learning, do the problems in the book. Uh, I give them most of my old finals and I give them an issues checklist so there's no model answer. But, you know, go do the old final. Why not? It's just going to help you prepare better for the kinds of things that I tend to test about. I don't always test on the same things, but in the real world, there are only so many things you can ask about in a CIPRO final that's fair to cover in three hours. So spoiler alert, I often, but not always, test about personal jurisdiction and subject matter jurisdiction, but not always because I want to talk about other stuff too. So, you know, do the, do the problem, do the final, um, create your own hypothetical and answer it. Uh, that's one of the assignments I do. And again, I'm just trying to push people at all times in manageable chunks from just passively sitting there taking notes to actively using the material to solve problems because that that's when I know they got it. And I'm always happy to like read, you know, if somebody takes the time to write out an exam answer, you know, I'll read it from an old exam. I can't grade it because it's in isolation and several years ago. Um, but that's when I know, you know, wow, that's when I know the light bulb's going off. When it comes to exams, do you have advice on time management? Uh, just practice. You know, I mean, I, I give you half a dozen exa uh, exams. And also, you know, there's all kinds of books out there that, that have um, hypos and problems. Um, and in Civ Pro, uh, uh, there's a good book on acing civil procedure that's written by the same guy who, uh, whose casebook I use. 
that won't matter very much in other sections. Uh, Glannon uh, has a couple of books that have examples in them. Uh, find old exams, find old bar exam questions. Uh, they are available in the real world. And uh, uh, practice, you know, uh, throw your roommate, spouse, relatives, whatever it is, out of the apartment or go somewhere quiet. Look at the test. And obviously, if it's a three-hour test and it's 30 points, it's about an hour. Set your alarm and have at it once you've had a chance to study and prepare. And, you know, if you do that a couple of times, uh, you're likely to be um, you're likely to be OK. And you're likely to get the difference between the amount of time and, and writing that you do for 10 or 20 points. And obviously, the, the deeper dive you got to do when it's a third or half of the points on, on an exam. What are some common mistakes you see on exams? Uh, I, I see two. Uh, students more often lose points, in my experience, by either failing to discuss an issue. They just miss it. And you got to practice that, too. That's why doing these hypos and identifying old exams helps. Um, but if you don't talk about something, I can't give you points. I don't know what's in your head. I only know what's on the paper. So students some, usually lose more points from not discussing something that's important. And that's, again, a skill you just acquire by practice. They really get stuff wrong. If they see that it's a PJ or a discovery question, they, they by and large know what universe they're in and what they have to talk about. But if they just miss something, uh, it may not hurt them. You know, if they forget to talk about venue, that's a couple points. Uh, you know, if they forget to talk about um, motions to dismiss where it's obviously relevant, yeah, it, could be, you know, it could be a big deal. Um, so practice issue spotting. And the other common mistake that I, I see is concluding without analysis. Um, uh, the bare conclusion gets you very few points in my view. You know, yeah, that's just like a yes, no, or motion dismissed or you know, denied or motion granted. I wanna know why. Uh, I have no objection to IRAC. I, don't, I neither require it nor prohibit it, but I do tell students that you know, uh, the way I write exams, the, the issues are sometimes stated point blank. So I can't give you much points for just repeating back to me what I either said or implied. Um, uh, and, and great, you know the rule. Okay, that's fine. That's a starting point. But again, the point is the analysis, applying it, solving a problem, giving me your best judgment, explaining why something comes out this way, recognizing a reasonable argument on the other side, and explaining why you did route A versus route B. And so, you know, um, if you spot all the if you spot all the issues and you analyze them, you're going to do very well. I'm not going to you're not going to lose many points because you reach a conclusion that I might not reach as long as you explain it and you cite the cases and explain to me why you know and it's, it's not crazy. Um, you know that you've you've done your job and, and you're going to get rewarded. And one last question: What do you hope students take away from your course? I hope that they understand that these courses are not completely isolated from each other and that every class that they take other than crim law is basically they're reading sit pro cases that are just about a particular topic. Everything you read in torts or contracts or property um, are sit pro cases at different stages that you will understand better because you know what a motion to dismiss is and you know what a summary judgment is and you know what it means to have a trial and what it took to got there. And you'll, just, you, you'll be a better lawyer for that. And if you happen to be interested in litigation, use and come up with a plan. 
use CivPro as the base to move on to courses like evidence and federal courts and remedies and discovery workshops and class actions, you know, whatever life you envision life taking you. Um, and if you, you know, CivPro is fine and uh, that's just not the route you want to go for whatever reason, that's terrific. But, but, but uh, you know, understand that uh, you can't just lock it in a box and put it away because you've, you've done okay and you've moved on to other things. It's going to be with you for your time in law school and in real life, no matter what area you, you work in, some dispute will arise, even if you're working on a transaction or, or some completely unrelated non-litigation thing. People have disputes in the real world and knowing how they get resolved teaches you how to avoid them and how to prevent that from going all the way to that courthouse step. Great. Thank you for your time, Professor Waller. That's all from us here at The Podvocate. Thanks again for joining us today. Our team wants to hear from you. If there's a topic you want the show to cover, please email us at thepodvocate at gmail.com. Visit our website at thepodvocate.com for more information on this episode and our guests. The Podvocate is produced by WLUW, the student-run independent radio station broadcasting from the School of Communications at Loyola University, Chicago. Our editors-in-chief are Christy Paredes and Marissa Polowitz. Our associate editors are Neka Ugu, Marcus McNeil, Andy Vandenbush, and Casey Callahan. Special thanks to Professor John Dane and Dean Stephen Russian for providing the resources and support to make the show possible. From Loyola University Chicago School of Law, this has been the Podvocate.